we don't have a body fat loss problem. It's the maintenance of that body fat loss. That's the problem. The diet, should we say, is working Monday to Friday. That's creating a calorie deficit, but then it's the weekend because obviously calories do not count on a weekend. Hey everyone, I'm Sina Hagiha and welcome to First Serve. The path to live a fulfilled and abundant life is to learn, grow and serve. And that is what this podcast is all about. We'll have guests on the show who are utilizing their skills to make a positive impact to our world. Together, we can gain a lot of insights, expand our knowledge and apply our learnings to serve others to the best of our abilities. Welcome to the First Serve podcast. Today, we have Chris Lowe with us, who is a world-class nutritionist and has worked with some of the top sports clubs and athletes. And today, we're going to talk about high-performance eating. Chris, welcome to the show. Sina, thank you very much for having me on board today. We're really looking forward to it, and I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of very exciting and interesting topics. Yeah, for sure. So, to begin with, what is high performance to you? What does high performance mean? So if I was coaching someone to be a high performer or peak performer, it's very much looking at how to extract their full potential. So as a coach, in terms of getting someone from where they are now to peak performance, high performance is extracting their full potential. So they're not leaving any untapped potential like on the table. So whether it's their I guess for my area of focus, nutrition is very much going to be looking at right where they're now, what are they doing, what are their current habits are like with regards to what they eat, how much they eat, and when they eat it, and how we make this better so nutrition is not a limiting factor to their performance. So when I have a high-performance mindset in terms of nutrition programming, that's the lens I look through in terms of where they're now and then how can we make things optimal for them as an individual and then as an athlete that is specific to their sports. All right. And what would you say is the difference between like, the average population and elite athletes? Because when I look back at when I used to play a high level sport, I don't think there was much focus on nutrition. Like we had all the training and all the exercises, but when I look back at it, there wasn't a focus on nutrition. Do you think that's changed over the past couple of years? And how do you think that mindset has shifted? Do you think there is now more focus there because they see that you can get that competitive edge by really focusing on your nutrition and not just about your exercise? 100%, man, 100%. Like if we look at the research, it's still a very infant topic. It's only really been kind of pushing out for the last 20 plus years in a good amount of volume. So we're still kind of figuring stuff out, still finding things out and seeing the true and full value of nutrition and how it impacts the lives of not just like the athlete as an individual, but athlete as a peak performer as well. So if you look at, you know, I like to think most high-level sports will have a nutritionist, but hardly any of them are going to be full-time. A lot of them will be part-time contractors, so they're still seeing the value in it, but they're still within like the, the entire budget, should we say, there isn't, they don't find it that much, should we say. So it's definitely getting there for sure. But in terms of like the, I guess the criteria, what they need to fill, like nutrition is kind of a luxury if you're working in a sports club, same as like a sports psychologist, perhaps. So they need the physical preparation side of things. So they're always going to have a strength and conditioning coach. Athletes always are going to get injured. So they need the physiotherapy. They need the skills coaches for the technical, tactical. So they need like the core group always. And then if they got a bit more in the budgets, like nutritionists would be nice. A psychologist would be nice. So, you know, it's still like an add-on. It's a luxury at the moment in pro sports. But if you look back 10, 20 years ago, that role didn't even exist. So it's definitely in for sure. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head in terms of the impact nutrition has on an athlete. You know, essentially just makes them progress far quicker for the same level amount of work they do in the gym. That's probably the, the easiest way upon it. So I always think of when you train, you're getting there to get an adaptation, a response. So if you just do training alone without the proper nutrition, it's like dialing the switch around maybe 
I don't know, I don't know the numbers, maybe 70%, 80%. But when you eat the right foods in the right amounts and the t- right times, it turns it all around to 100%. So you're maximizing it. So when we go back to that question of what's high performance, it's that going from that 70%, 80%, taking it all to 100%, just by looking at what foods you're having on a daily basis. And then, sorry, just go back to, I think one of the, the, the earlier questions you asked then, the difference between like an athlete and an individual, non-athlete general population. And sometimes this is what gets a little bit sort of misunderstood perhaps when you look at athletes is that we have to treat them as individuals first. They are people first. They have the same lives as most people in terms of they have a family, they'll have social occasions, they'll have their own issues, their own problems. Like they're no different to one person or the next. I know they get put on these pedestals, but when you sit down with them, have a chat with them, they're, they're just human beings, you know? So you have to treat them as the individual, the person first, and then the athlete second. It's like, right, how can we cater to you as, I don't know, John? And then, right, how can we make John then achieve peak performance in a sport? So you've worked with some of the top sports clubs like Wasp and Reading Football Club. During your time there, have you seen a massive difference that has just been attributed to changes in nutrition or some of the work you've done? Are the results really visible or is it really about those fine margins? How can you attribute some of the results to be purely based on nutrition? Do you have good examples of that? Yeah, so trying to show your worth and quantify your worth, which is a a totally interesting one. And I know the psychologists have the same issue as we do. It's very hard to quantify it. Like if you're a strength and conditioning coach, it's like X player, X athlete put 20 kilos on their squat. That translates into this on the field or something like that. It's very measurable. So I'd say, oh, because we're looking at more, or should we say better eating, whether it's say looking at more protein, the higher protein frequency to maximize muscle synthesis and therefore better adaptation, I've contributed to that. As I got how much? Hard, hard to say, but in terms of the measures, the measurables, you know, if you're looking at a team sport athlete, they've all got the GPS vests on these days. So you can measure like how far they run, how many high speed meters, if they were the player, how many tackles they had, were they dominant in that tackle, all this kind of stuff. And you can kind of just say that you, you just basically say you contributed to that and the consistency of that throughout the course of the season and through the course of a match as well. So do they do that to a very high standard at the start? And can they do that to the same standard right at the end? Or do they fade off because they get tired? So it's very, very difficult to to quantify it exactly. And that's where I guess the, the idea of this multidisciplinary team comes in. Is like there isn't just one person that takes all the glory. It's like a combination of whole things. So I would say like our X player is better fueled going into the 78th, sorry, 70th minute, 80th minute and so on. And therefore, you know, they kind of have better quality of the skill and all this kind of stuff. But then perhaps the psychologist can say, oh, better prepare that individual to, you know, better master the skill at those dying minutes for game to close it out properly. It's not just like one kind of area of performance support that takes for the glory. It's multidisciplinary team. And that's why it's really, it's just really nice to work in an environment like that because, you know, every box is ticked off. So if you say have like high performance at the top here and then underneath it, you've got all the support staff and all the support that they can offer, the rehabilitation, the prehab stuff as well, sports psychology, nutrition, SNC, technical, tactical. Once every box is ticked off, then the athlete has peak performance, you know, and high performance. And what would you say have been some of the challenges that you've experienced when you've worked with some of these athletes or some of the clients? In terms of like adapting to the nutrition plans or maybe they don't follow everything you tell them to do. Pretty much everyone. Consistency is a huge thing. So when we look at the nutrition side of things, it isn't really just the nutrition side. It's the whole lifestyle on a whole because the food is so interactive with what they do on a daily basis. So them being consistent with that is probably one of the most challenging things. And that's where... There's a large emphasis on the education side of things, the habit formation, and the patience that comes along with it as well. So, 
nobody's perfect. Nobody's going to be actually on the money 365. But, you know, having great man those days and weeks, eating better, they're going to, you know, perform much, much better as well. So just educating them and just do that slowly over the course of time. That is going to be obviously absolutely key. In terms of the challenges, you're always going to have people like with an on it, off it mindset, like I'm on it this week, off it on the weekend, that kind of stuff, which is always going to be a challenge. And that comes largely down to the environment, whether it's the physical environment or the social environment, i.e. who they hang around with, that influence of their habits and behaviors and stuff like that. So that's something we definitely need to work on. And also, which comes from, I guess, the educational side of it as well, like the level of under-reporting. So it's like, right, I'm sticking to my intake of two and a half thousand calories, three thousand, three and a half, or whatever we kind of read is. Uh, but in fact, that they're just massively under-reporting their calorie intake. Oh, I forgot about the two drinks I had on the weekend, the latte I have every morning. I forgot about this little protein bar, this Mars bar, or whatever ends up being. Then before you know it, you may be like seven, eight hundred calories out. And you're like, oh, why am I not oh, dropping body fat when I'm, why am I not accelerated my physical development? The details matter. And as we kind of said before, sometimes good enough isn't good enough when you're looking at peak performance. So that's where the finer details kind of matter, especially when you're trying to really extract the, the full potential out of someone. So that comes down to an education standpoint. It comes down to a monitoring standpoint as well. And just having those like conversations, just reviewing properly is like over the last week, What's the outcome first foremost? Are we achieving our goals? Yes, no. Then based on that, let's work backwards. What has the process looked like? Has it been effective? If it's not been effective, why hasn't it? Have you not stuck to it? Is the actual process that I've programmed to you not quite right? Whatever ends up being. So yeah, the biggest thing is really just making them consistent in one way, shape or form. So basically making sure they track what they're eating and they're transparent about what they eat as well instead of trying to fudge the numbers up to make make it look like they're following the plan if the maths doesn't add up it doesn't add up you know if someone says like oh i mean i just say general population for example i can't lose weight on two thousand calories and if you know that they're burning three thousand calories a day it's like well you're probably not eating two thousand calories it's probably eating three thousand that day there's just that thousand that's unaccounted for somewhere you know, so where is it? Then that just allows us to ask better questions. Is it a case that you're bullshitting me and yourself and you're lying? Or is it you just don't know? You don't remember? You know, are you having like five cups of tea today with a digestive biscuit each time? It's like, okay, all of a sudden you're 700 calories out. And it's like, oh, I just had a little biscuit, but it adds up, you know. It could be a case of you putting loads of, I don't know, olive oil, healthy oils, healthy fats on your salads. It's like, okay, that's probably like 300 calories. You know, are you accounting for that? There's sometimes there is just generally just things that you don't realize that's going to be adding the calorie value a lot, but sometimes they do. And they just want to brush it under the carpet and kind of make excuses. And, you know, when I first started out in my career, I always think, oh, what am I doing wrong? Is there something wrong with the plan? Why isn't this person dropping body fat or whatever ends up being? And it's like, oh, yeah, they're actually just lying to you. Okay, right. So it's um, a steep learning curve when you go figure that one out. Is like, okay, there's nothing wrong with the metabolisms or anything like that. Is the fact that they're just massively reporting through one way or another. So it is it because of then me, because I'm not educating them properly. Is it, again, me because they don't have that trust to open up and talk about it. So it, again, it just allows me to now ask better questions. What's going on? This is the data. The maths does not add up. Are we missing something here? And then I'll just kind of work through it in more detail and obviously have their food diary are they reporting stuff properly if they're eating out are they tracking their food accurately when they're eating out and you know you always got those hidden calories like a sauce it could be four five hundred calories easily if put in loads of creams butter in it oil in it before you know it, you've got like a i don't know 600 calorie kind of chicken pasta kind of dish but with a sauce it pushed up to a thousand you know those little things make a massive difference so are they just unaware about the hidden calories in certain foods when eating out? So yeah, ultimately it's just making sure they are educated, consistent, and they do it for a long period of time. So it's in line with their preferences and their lifestyle habits. That was one of the key eye-openers for me when I was going through my fat loss journey was really understanding food quantity and food quality. 
because I think sometimes you can track certain foods and you see like the calories aren't that high so it must be okay for you but then when you start to actually look into the contents or the nutritional information about certain sources you see how much salt and sugar is in there and once you start tracking it, it really puts you off so you think oh this is only like 50 calories but I think when you dive into it and you notice the salts and sugars that really has that negative impact that you might be hitting your calories like 2000 calories a day but I think it's also important to understand what those 2000 calories consist of because it can have that negative impact to your body and even your moods and energy levels yeah absolutely and that's probably one thing a lot of people kind of forget about now is how important food quality is like just going back to the basics like we talk so much on calories macros carbs protein all the fancy stuff but then we kind of forget about food quality eating your vegetables you know to do the good stuff because that is ultimately the foundation to it all and you know when i guess like if it fits your macros that kind of type of diet and popularized we don't need to focus too much on food quality for the purposes of dropping body fat which is true like ultimately calories are absolutely key energy balance is key for body composition changes i fat loss and stuff and food quality doesn't play that much of a role in it it plays a role but for fat loss purposes only it isn't too much but people don't want to just drop body fat they want to perform well they want to feel good and that's where food quality comes in so you know there's extra layers so you know if you think of it like as a pair is like poor bone composition changes again fat loss you know calories sit right at the bottom you can have the most high quality foods in your diet possible i don't talk about high quality it's nutrient dense minimally processed you can have all of them in their world in your diet but if you have four thousand calories of high quality foods and you burn three thousand you knock up on body fat so therefore calorie intake has to come below that so there's always calories then it's true quality and then you can look at macronutrients after that yeah that makes sense because if you really want to drop body fat you can just drastically cut your calories right but at the end of the day if you're just cutting calories drastically and not really putting in the work or having good quality food you're not really going to feel great right absolutely yeah 100% like I know that if I'm very consistent with eating high quality foods but I know that if I go to a, a lower quality food diet for a couple of days whatever happens maybe Christmas or something that stands in the way then I feel like shit you know I feel really bad even if I have enough calories on board my energy is poor it's like right you're burning two and a half thousand calories you're eating four and a half thousand calories you've got enough energy available to feel good but because the food quality is poor you just end up feeling really crap all the time so yeah food quality is absolutely key and that's one of the things when I need to all the struggle is with educating athletes like as rudimentary as it sounds but have you eaten your vegetables today <laughs> you know like we're talking about like peak performance here with all like this really nitty gritty specifics and the details to maximize adaptation recovery all this kind of good stuff but it's like right have you eaten your vegetables first <laughs> you know you can't ignore the foundations and that's sometimes when a worker like a new athlete is like you got to understand where they are right now it's like if you think of again that that pyramid like where are they on that do we have to start right at the bottom or can we just jump in quite near the top and that's based on their education level their experience their habits their consistency and then we can work from there so we touched a little bit on like fat loss calorie intake food quality there's a lot of like diets out there and fasting what is the best diet and what are your thoughts on fasting intermittent fasting those kind of things or meal replacements so as you mentioned calorie intake is actually key for fat loss purposes only and when i say fat loss purposes only i'm not talking about like muscle adaptation like energy levels all that kind of stuff but for fat loss purposes only we need to be in a calorie deficit so whatever kind of approach you can adhere to the longest is the best one that is as simple as that whatever it looks like usually if a diet has a name it's usually just a gimmicky bullshitty kind of thing you know but you know ultimately it doesn't matter if you love 
keto, if you love paleo, if you love zone diet, if you love intermittent fasting, they all work. Why? Because they create a calorie deficit in some way, shape, or form. So if you want to choose one of them, if you like doing it and you can stick to it, then you're going to drop body fat. So like for me, I'll take a far more of a, a balanced approach. I just run a, a moderate kind of calorie deficit. I wouldn't have to put my own name on this, like the Chris Lone diet or anything. You know, ultimately, a calorie deficit is key. Whatever you can stick to the most. In terms of intermittent fasting, yeah, it, again, it works for sure. Why does it work? So if you eat 2,500 calories to maintain your body mass and you need 2,000 calories to drop, and all of a sudden you do one change and ask you to remove a 500 calorie breakfast, you're in a calorie deficit, you drop body fat. It's the only reason it works is because you remove a calories, that that is it. A lot of people find it quite easy to adhere to from experience because they're usually up in the morning, they're rushed, they don't have time, they're getting ready for work, getting the kids ready for work. They don't have time to think about being hungry or getting breakfast in. And then they're at the door, they fly in the rush, 100 by an hour, and then don't really have an opportunity to properly eat until lunch. So for them, it's like, right, let's just not eat to breakfast and let's just start eating for lunch. So therefore, we have more calories backloads towards the end of the day where food focus is typically highest, especially in the evening. So it kind of fits your food focus preferences, helps your hunger management, your calorie management, and therefore better long-term rates of fat loss. So, you know, if you need those 2,000 calories a day and you don't have anything for breakfast, you can have like a 500 calorie lunch, 200 calorie snack, and mid-afternoon, and then like 1,300 calories in the evening. And then that's a, that's a big meal. And now it doesn't feel like you're, Say, should we say, quote unquote, dieting? Does it feel like restricting because you're eating like actually king every single night? And that's a nice easy way to do it. Like, if you then had a goal of, right, okay, I want to drop body fat and then maybe look at improving muscle adaptation to training, then it's like, right, okay, you probably need some protein for breakfast. So that dieting approach probably isn't optimal. But then there's nothing to say that you can't do or can't put in something that's high protein, a very low calorie, like a protein shake for breakfast. If you're busy and you're out the door really quickly, you drink it on the way to work, something like that. So you get a good, robust protein hit, and then you can have another protein hit for lunch, mid-afternoon, and evening meal. So now you've got four protein hits. You can optimize muscle synthesis and support the adaptive response to weight training, and then your overall calorie balance made up from the remaining nutrients, so carbs and fats can be periodized and programmed to the back end of the day, so you kind of get the best of both. I think just going back to the different diets, I think there's just this unawareness in the public about which diet is best for fat loss. And I don't think it's about which diet is the best. It's about which one you can sustain and which one you can follow and be in a deficit because you can follow all these diets. But if you're in a calorie surplus, you're not going to lose body fat. And I think it's just going back to the basics and understanding you just need to be in a deficit no matter what diet you follow you need to be in a deficit and i think all this marketing stuff's been added where people are think or just i've heard of people just switching between diets because it's not working for them or they're not losing body fat but i think you just need to go back to the basics and understand the simple formula of like am i burning more than i'm consuming and i think a lot of people don't look back at the basics they just think certain diets don't work for them then they keep jumping ship to different diets yeah i'd make the assumption as well as that the diet should we say is working monday to friday that's creating a calorie deficit but then it's the weekend because obviously calories do not count on a weekend and i've ever much doubt that if they have a social life they're not following a paleo diet a i don't know keto diet whatever when they're out for food on the weekend to offer drinks they have this and they roast to fry it, whatever it's being, you know, those those calories count, don't they, in terms of their overall weekly balance. So yes, you might drop maybe a pound over the course of the week, Monday through the Friday. Great. If you sustain that on Saturday, Sunday, you drop a little bit more. But the fact is that they don't. Then they ultimately overeat on the weekend for one reason or another, where that's their social kind of pressures or because they absolutely hate the diet they're on and they need to escape it, whatever ends up being they just wipe out the calorie deficit they're on. So, you know, they might be in a five hundred calorie deficit Monday through the Friday. They, you know, are then in two and a half thousand calorie deficit for going into the weekend. But if they overeat by two and a half thousand calories on Saturday and Sunday, 
very easily doable. You could do that one meal if you want. Then you just wipe that whole week of work and then jump on scales Monday morning. Diet didn't work. Shit diet. I'm going to do something else. It's like, no, it's the weekend. Sort the weekend out. Always have more of an awareness over the weekend. I'd be more proactive in your strategy Monday to Friday to counteract the social kind of balance and how it impacts your overall calorie intake. Yeah. I was going to say, if you know that you've got something coming up in the weekend and you're going to be eating out or drinking, would you recommend kind of cutting a few of the calories during the week so that you can prepare for the weekend? What would be your recommendation for those who do have social lives on the weekend or they're traveling with business or work? Yeah, 100%. Like, you've got to have an awareness over it. And, you know, I don't like going to extremes in any way, shape, or form. So if you just talk about, like, general population, like, I don't like going to extremes. Like, I don't need to eat 800 to 1,000 calories Monday to Friday and then put in 8,000 calories Saturday and Sunday. That's that's probably not good. You're going to feel like absolute dog shit Monday through the Friday. You're going to be so tired. If you talk about performing on any level, like, forget about it. Like, you're just not going to achieve that. You're going to be very moody. And quality of life can be very, very low. And then you're just going to be overindulging in a huge amount of excess. And, you know, it's just not a healthy balance at all. So I would recommend reducing calorie intake through the course of the week to then allocate and budget more calories to the weekend. So yes, you can 100% do that, but just avoiding big peaks and troughs because the further away from your maintenance calorie baseline you go, the more compromising trade-offs are going to be in terms of your performance, both physically and mentally, your energy levels, your mood, your food focus, your quality of life, you know, well-being, libido, stuff like that. So ultimately, the further away from baseline you go, maintenance baseline, the more life is going to suck. So you don't want to go too far below that. If I was just setting up on a Thanos diet, I'd look out 15% below baseline. That's the way I look at it. But if you're going beyond that and you're going really, really aggressively, you need to be really mindful of the compromises associated with that. And, you know, is the the big social, the piss up on the weekend actually worth that trade-off? So, you know, ultimately when you're in a fat loss diet, once you are reducing calories in any way, shape or form, you're already compromised. And if you're trying to pull too many calories away, then that's just going to just really amplify the effect. Yeah, makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about fat loss. Uh, where would someone start on their fat loss journey? What are the steps that you mentioned? Uh, finding the maintenance and the baseline. How do you go about finding that out? Two ways we can go about it. One, you can use formulas. So you can just go on Google, type calorie formula, and it'll give you a number. But with these formulas, they use predictive equations. And the key word there is predictive. Like it's not accurate. It's a ballpark. So what you can do then is you can go into calorie formulas, stick in your body weight, your height, your gender, your activity level. And I'll say, right, so you need X amount of calories a day to drop body fat and stuff like that. Then what I'd recommend is that individual stick to these calories for two weeks and properly stick them like it did to them, track your food accurately and honestly. I stick for them. At the end of those two weeks, did you gain weight, maintain weight, or lose weight? Based on that outcome, then you adjust accordingly. So say for example, they maintained weight for those two weeks. And visually, their body composition maintained over those two weeks. Take 15% of those numbers, and then that's your calorie deficit. Or the second option, if you've been weight stable for the last few weeks or few months or however long, Okay, do not change your dietary habits. Track everything you've been doing. Stick them in my fitness pal, NutriCheck, whatever nutrition tracking app you want to use. Just track it honestly and accurately for two weeks. Figure out what your calorie intake is on average. Then reduce by 15 to 20% and then off you go. That's your deficit. So that's probably the easiest way. So when I start a new athlete up on a, a nutrition program, I'll use like predictive equations. I'll use like the house benedict equation because it's a bit more validated for athletes who have perhaps high muscle mass, low body fat mass. And um, I'll kind of get the numbers and I'll have a very good idea, a good ballpark 
in terms of how much you need. But then it's like, right, stick to this for two weeks, have an explosive mindset. Don't associate any or attach any expectations with this. Let's just see what the outcome is. And then based on that, I know what to do then. So at the same thing, like at the end of two weeks, did you maintain, gain or lose? Based on that, what do we need to do? So that's where we use any form of formulas as a starting point, a ballpark figure, but then really important, you track and adhere to it 100%. And then based on that outcome, we know what to do. No. So just to summarize, work out your baseline or your maintenance calorie intake by following those formulas and then cut it by 15% yeah. for fat loss. If you maintained, yeah. And then if if you end up losing body fat on the numbers that they spit out and you know you keep performance indicators, so your performance, recovery, energy levels, mood, street focus, all that kind of stuff is good, is in the green, is manageable, stick to that. Don't change. But then if, if you didn't lose much, would you recommend cutting more than 15% or would you say, okay, maybe just increase your output more? So what's the balance between cutting or increasing output? Like you're saying, yeah, it's still, it's still 15%, 15% deficit is still the same regardless of what you do, day day about. If you didn't lose any weight, or didn't change any body composition in that kind of period. Okay. And you don't want to chop your food away. Okay. Burn 15% more calories. Away. It could be okay. If you didn't lose, take away 15%. If you don't want to take 15%, take away seven and a half and burn seven and a half. Like whatever ends up looking like, ultimately you need to further increase that calorie deficit by increasing expansion and reducing intake. However that looks. And that's where your personal preference comes into it massively. So for me, for example, I have a little bit more time on my side being self-employed, working at home. If I wanted to, I could go out, I can increase my steps, I can move more, I can burn more energy. There's no there's no problem. And I don't particularly want to reduce my calorie intake that much. I like my food. I love eating. So I'd much rather try and protect my food intake as much as possible by keeping my calories as high as possible, but increase my expenditure. But some people listening to this may say, Chris, I'm flat out all the time. I don't have any more time to increase my movement. Okay, by default, you have to reduce your calorie intake if you want to continue dropping body fat. And if if you know you're kind of busy and you don't drop too much food, then you go for libe both. So ultimately, however it looks. But before I would even consider adjusting an individual's plan, I'd always ask them like or investigate how adherent have you been to it. Because before you know it, like if you're looking at 15% of 2,000 calories, 300 calories, um, you know, that's very simple. Like, you know, I don't know, a latte and a banana. It's like very easily missed off. It's like, so before I say go and do X more exercise, before you do another calorie reduction, let's make sure we're tracking everything. And if I'm absolutely satisfied that they are doing what they said they're doing, then okay, then we can have a look. Because again, if the math doesn't add up, doesn't add up, you know, for sure you get individuals who adapt differently to a calorie deficit. Their rest of the metabolic rate will reduce a little bit. They like there's called neat one exercise activity thermogenesis that will reduce to different extents in different individuals based on the calorie intake and stuff like that. So we take these things into account, but you know, ask me if the math doesn't add up, it doesn't add up. If it looks too wrong on paper, then that gives me the, the green light to, to dig a little bit more in it. Yeah. So we talked a lot about calories and calorie deficit for fat loss. Should we not focus at all on the macronutrient levels when it comes to fat loss? Does that play a role at all? Like what are the right macronutrient levels for fat loss? Yeah. So great question. It has layers. So. Again, go back to that model, that pyramid model. Calories is the foundation. Then I'd stick food quality a second. Some people could probably argue that protein needs to go second than food quality, but I like to go food quality just because it has more low energy density foods by default, more fiber, there's more filling, and therefore you're better able to adhere to that calorie intake because your hunger management's a bit better. So 
then after that go high protein so if you would compare two diets of the same calories with the same people same group of people one low protein one high protein the high protein diets can be superior for fat loss potentially through having like greater systemic effect protein intakes protein foods are hard to break down so they're very so they're a bit more calorie demanding to fat and carbohydrates so you're going to suggest that and they're going to be more satiating they're going to fill you up a little bit more so that helps with hunger management initial calorie management so you'd always go calories through quality protein then for general population we don't have heightened performance and recovery demands carbon fat ratios do not make any difference at all but if you had a performance goal for example an athlete then you most likely bias or I'd highly recommend that they bias more carbohydrates and less fat to support that because carbohydrates support medium to high intensity based performance and help you sustain it so ultimately it depends on what what the objective is so if you want body composition changes and performance then you're gonna have to reduce your dietary fat as you protect more carbohydrates but you do not want to run dietary fat through the floor because we're going to need an essential amount through our diet so you know you're not going to really pull it anywhere below 0.5 gram per kilogram for yeah body mass so 100 kilo guy 50 grams females might go somewhere a little bit higher 0.75 gram or something like that but ultimately it's that kind of bias of more carbohydrates less fat and then you kind of got more specificity as you kind of go up their performance kind of shoot chain you know yeah because i was going to ask about the fat levels because i think if you're trying to lose fat you think i need to just cut fat out completely but as you just mentioned we do need a certain yeah amount of fat how important is it to have fat in your diet and obviously there's different types of fat right yeah, you like we'll, speak to that a little bit. We can't run dietary fat, fat to the floor. For example, it's going to help us absorb our fat soluble vitamins. If we have inadequate fat amounts in our diet, then we're not going to absorb vitamins A, D, E, and K. So that's a nice, straightforward example. You know, I would, you know, and obviously it does contribute to your energy demands as well. So if we go back to like the the fat loss kind of diet issue, say for example, I have two diets, same calories, same protein. One goes high carb, low fat, and the other one goes low fat, high carb. Yeah, I think I said that right. Rate of fat loss, exactly the same. But then again, if you have the performance element to it, then you're probably going to go high carbohydrate, low fat, but then not all the way to the bottom. And there's some research perhaps showing that in very lean individuals, higher carbohydrates and lower fat approaches may be more beneficial. I physique athletes, I think, because high carbohydrates could be a little bit more muscle sparing when they do become very, very lean. So where that just means that they have a little bit more carbohydrate in their diet to train harder in the gym and therefore they got that anabolic stimulus from weight training and lifting weights so they preserve muscle mass better. You know, quite hard to say, but that's the way I typically approach it. And just from a, a biased personal perspective, carbohydrates... They are just great. I don't know. You have far more options for the food. You can have your bread. You can have your pasta. You can have your cereal. You can have nice fruits. So just on preserving muscle mass, because I know when we're talking about fat loss and getting into the best shape of your life, people want the fat loss and they also want to preserve muscle mass and even to grow muscle on top of what they already have. So. Is there an optimal way of cutting fat without compromising muscle mass? Yeah. You have to train very hard and progressively, and you need to have high protein. So if you think of the optimal approach to building muscle, it is a robust weight training stimulus, always the most important thing, high protein intake, somewhere above two gram per kilogram, and then sufficient calories, so a kind of surplus. So if you then ask me, right, that's the optimal way of doing it. If you ask me the optimal way to lose muscle and flip it on his head, there'd be no weight training stimulus, low protein, and very low calories. So what we need to do, we know we need to be in a calorie deficit to drop body fat. So we need to be in a small to moderate calorie deficit because too much of a calorie deficit is going to be very catabolic in nature. It's not going to favor growth. We need to have a very robust weight training stimulus, of course, 
because if you don't use it, you lose it. So if you just don't weight train at all, or if you massively reduce your loads during the fat loss phase, then you know you're not using it properly to a normal amount, so you're going to lose it. So weight training uh, stimulus is very important, and then you need to keep your protein intake nice and high. So they're the, the kind of three things, and then just to, on top of that, just to manage expectations. Yes, you can build muscle and calorie deficit for sure. You can get re- recomposition, so you can drop body fat or muscle at the same time, but it's not going to be as optimal as being in a calorie surplus. And individuals who are new to weight training or they've just come off the back of an injury can build muscle at a higher rate in a calorie deficit than a trained individual who has a greater training age who's been in the gym a lot more. But it's still, it is possible, but not optimal, should we say. So one of the things I have sort of, I used to do as well, like if I say, should we say bulking, quote unquote bulking, they'd be lifting very hard, very heavy, very progressively. And then if I was to go on a cut, drop the weight massively, do pump work, stuff like that. So it's like, you haven't got the same stimulus anymore. And you put yourself into a cast bulk environment by restricting calories too much. You kind of just setting yourself up to lose muscle here. So it is a case of just to summarize on that high protein, really make sure we're keeping protein intake high. You need to make sure that your calorie intake isn't too low because that's going to create too much of a cast bulk environment. And also, if you cut your calories too low, you're not going to have enough energy, enough carbohydrates to go to the gym and lift progressively and heavily. Because, again, if you cut your calories too low, you know, you've got no energy. You feel like someone's pulled, it, pulled the plug out of you. You're just running on empty. And how are you supposed to lift progressively when you're running on empty? So that's when, you know, providing muscle with a stimulus and therefore you're more likely to lose muscle. So it's finding that nice balance. So if you want the best of both, you have to go slow. You have to go progressively. And you have to do it over a long period of time and manage expectations accordingly. Yeah, that's what I found with myself, which was quite surprising, was that at one point I was having a lot more calories than I was usually having and still losing body fat and growing muscle. And I think that's just a big misconception as well, thinking that you can't be on over 3,000 calories and still get into the best shape of your life so I was actually eating more than I was before I started my transformation and it was just feeding my workouts and I think if you really want to get the most out of your workouts for that muscle growth you need the fuel so that you can't be running on fumes essentially I think that needs to change because I don't know with yourself you do a lot of cycling a lot of exercise and you're having incredible amounts of carbs which i think if people looked at that they'll be shocked at how much you take in but i think it's replenishing you're using it for fuel or you're replenishing what you've used 100 percent. like give you an example um had a client of mine on saturday he did a seven hour bike ride and he put in 1200 grams of carbohydrates in that day you know it's like if you're on the bike for seven hours, you have to fuel it. So you need to have carbohydrates, pushing in like 100 grams of carbohydrates. So 100 grams of sugar per hour for seven hours. Not great for your teeth, but great for performance. So, you know, you have to fuel the work required. You know, if you want to build muscle, you need to fuel those sessions properly. So you perform to a high standard. And therefore, you can lift progressively. You can lift more every single week. And therefore, that is a stimulus to grow. So it's like, if you're not fueling yourself properly and you're running on empty, how are you going to perform? So it's really, really important. And this is where sometimes when individuals go too low with the calories to drop body fat. And again, they just don't have any energy at all. And, you know, they're just like they're in sloth mode. They, they just can hardly like stand up. They're doing a walk. They don't do anything. It's because the calories are, t- are too low. So sometimes when someone's hit a plateau and on too low calories, they're like, oh, I have to further reduce calories. Well, say, for example, you took 300 calories out of the diet, like made a 15% adjustment, and therefore that made them three, 350 or 400 calories more sedentary, lethargic, because you have less energy. So they burn 400 calories less for the course of the day. They've removed more calories, but they're more tired. They don't move around more. So not only are they got exactly the same outcome of hitting a plateau and maintenance, they feel like shit at the same time. So sometimes it's like, right, 
It's kind of a bit of a ballsy move at some points uh, sometimes, but let's put more food into that. It's like, oh, okay, that, that's, that sounds interesting. Okay, right, we'll put 300 calories into that. And all of a sudden, you have more energy. You have more energy to move around and stuff like this. You reverse some of these like energy compensations that happen within the body. And now all of a sudden, you put in that 300 calories extra, you move around four to 500 calories more. So by putting in more food, it's giving more energy to move around. So you st- now you create a bigger calorie deficit by eating more food, which it doesn't make sense. But at the same time, it's like it's still inverse about. Yes, we put in more food in, but if out is greater than in, you still in the calorie deficit. Doesn't matter how it looks. So you know sometimes like just cutting calories, cutting calories is not always a good thing because not only are you going to experience far too many compromises. But you kind of shoot yourself in the foot. And that's why like sometimes a coach is, or most of the time a coach is needed to look at your progress objectively. Because when you're in it, you're immersed in it. You're very kind of emotionally kind of bought into it. And you sometimes can be quite reactive and not make the right decision. Where a coach, they look at things objectively. It's like, right, this is your output. This is your, in, your intake. This is the outcome. But what do we need to do? What parts of the puzzle do we need to change? Yeah. I also think when you cut calories drastically, you can put yourself in a dangerous position where because you have low energy levels and you don't feel that great, that you crave some of that comfort food and then you end up in that vicious cycle where you then go in a massive surplus and maybe you go out of those habits or routines that you've built where you've been consistent, but because that's not sustainable in terms of productivity, energy levels, you kind of crash and you want like a pick me up. So you end up going back to maybe some of those old ways, old habits of, yeah, just comfort food to make you feel better where it just is to your detriment even more instead of just going with something a bit more stable, sustainable, gives you the energy levels that you need that you can maintain and still you can get maybe those comfort foods a little bit on the weekend if you've been disciplined but i think going too low is just a dangerous game i think i understand it comes back to that pendulum analogy like if you go one way you can swing back the other way so it's like right that's a keyword balance we need balance so yes we need to uh, restrict the calories and we need to restrict some of the high fat sugar foods you have but it doesn't mean we eliminate it so you can still have it, but we have to factor it in proactively and within the calorie target of your day. Like that is actually key. So if I say like, you can't have your favorite food, it's like that pink elephant, isn't it? As I go out, so you know, do not think about a pink elephant. You're like, hmm, that pink elephant comes into your head. So if I say, you can't have that Mars bar, you, you can't have that cookie. They're just going to think about it more and they want it more. So, you know, we can't eliminate these kind of foods. If you're really, really at like the business end of fat loss transformation and you're on a little bit lower calories and we've really got a foot in the gas, okay, you probably have to do things unsustainable for a few weeks. But for most, 99.9% of people who won't get there, they just need to have nice balance so they can have these foods. They can like, go out for a couple of drinks, they can do whatever, but it's just done practically, it's planned in and they've done it thoughtfully and mindfully. What you don't want to do is like said, go too low the calorie intake, then all of a sudden, then it's a reactive eating pattern that follows. So it's unplanned overeating. So that's what you want to avoid because that's just shooting yourself in the foot. And we can really avoid that by being more methodical with our calorie intake. And again, it's come down to managing expectations. Just make sure you do this consistently for a long period of time. Yes, we want the short-term wins, but you've got to appreciate you need to zoom out and look at where you're going to be three months from now, six, 12, two years, because that's what really matters. Like how many people like probably listen to this podcast have been on and off dieting for the last decade? Probably quite a few. It's like, right, just invest time doing it once, do it properly, learn how to do it properly and build the habits that come with it. And then that's, that's you done. Like you just maintain and that's the thing to maintain leanness. You don't need to be in the deficit. You transition to maintenance. I think some people almost get a little bit scared about it. It's like, right, I need to, right, okay, I've, I've got lean. I've got to a position where I'm happy to. It's like, oh, I need to eat this way now 
I need to be restricting my calories this way to this extent for the rest of my life and it sucks. So what they realize is like, you don't actually have to, you still have the same habits, same like approach, same foods, but you just eat more of them. So now you're no longer in a calorie deficit and you use that kind of maintenance and then you get the best of both. So it's really just investing that time to do it properly once and then you're, you're solid going forward. If you don't, if you try rushing it, if you try taking a shortcuts, you're going to do it for four weeks, then you're going to fall off. Then you're going to do four weeks, then you're going to fall off. Then you're on it and you're off it. Another diet failed. So take your time with it. Like this year, forget about the like four week January kind of blast. Like that's bullshit. Like just reverse the whole year and just sorting it out. And then the remaining years of your life in a position where you want to be in terms of your eating habits. And therefore you can maintain and sustain the results you've got. Because research is very clear that people can drop body fat. Like we don't have a body fat loss problem. It's the maintenance of that body fat loss. That's the problem. So I can't remember the stats on top of my head, but the course of a few years, pretty much the majority of people will regain all that weight that they lost while even gained more weight than they start baseline. So something has happened during that period that hasn't worked. So have they built the correct habits in losing body fat in the first place? Probably not. Because if they had and they did it properly, they probably wouldn't have rebounded to a certain extent. Maybe rebound a little bit, but you know, not 110% of the weight that you lost, you know? So that's the problem. It's like, and that's why it comes down to changing behaviors and changing habits. Like we look at all the front end stuff, the surface level stuff, like, oh, he's got abs, she's got abs, all this kind of stuff, which is cool. But what really matters is a bit deeper behind the kind of scenes, like what are your habits like? Because that is the most important thing that's going to allow you to sustain results. And then when we think of being like outcome focused or process focused, we always want to be focus focused because if we're too outcome focused, now we can't actually control outcomes and therefore we get disheartened when we see X, Y, Z happen. But if we just focus on the process, our daily non-negotiables, you know, what foods you're eating, how much you're eating, when you eat from it, have it all planned. All you do then is just take everything off, implement the process consistently. That builds repetition. That conditions a habit and therefore you are consistent. And then the outcome will be the outcome, whatever it is. She laughed. That's the, the, the best way to, to do it for sure, you know? Oh, thanks for that. Incredible insights. But now I want to move on to like quick fire round of questions and bust a few myths that are out there. Let's try to keep it to 30 seconds or less with the answers. I know we can go on and these probably deserve their own podcast episodes. But I'm just going to rattle through them and if you can give this a quick response. So the first one is, are abs made in the kitchen? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. You want an explanation? <laughs> so <laughs> quick, yeah, if you could do a quick one in less than 30 seconds. Our abs made in the kitchen. Yes. Well, mostly made in the kitchen. We need calorie deficit. It's in versus out. So it's going to be far easier to create calorie deficit through dietary habits than exercise habits. You can create abs by burning a ton of calories and keeping food the same. But for 99.9% of the people, it's much easier to reduce your calorie intake. And therefore, your food is made in the kitchen. So abs are made in the kitchen. Thanks. The next one is, carbs are bad. You should keep them out of your diet. Hate them. <laughs> no, <laughs> so carbohydrates are absolutely key. So what kind of figured out that most of life's problems could be solved with carbohydrates. <laughs> Any performance issue an athlete or an individual has most likely comes down to low carbohydrate availability. So not enough carbohydrates in the diet and they form as carbohydrates stored in the muscle and liver. So carbohydrates fix pretty much 99.9% of performance problems. In terms of quality of life and tunes to a diet, personal bias and preference, carbohydrates are great from that perspective. You know, if you told me and this again, my personal preference, my own biases. If you said, Chris, you can never have pasta, you can never have bread, you can never have bagels, or a vice versa square or some cereal bars. It's like, yes, this diet sucks. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to stay to it. So stick to it. So carbohydrates, you do not need to cut them out. 
And if you do like having carbohydrates, keep them in your diet. Just make sure they are in appropriate amounts to stay within your calorie target of the day. Next one is if I want to lose weight quickly, I should drastically cut my calories. That is correct. If you want to lose body fat and weight very quickly, go on a very low calorie diet. But let's see how long you can adhere to that and let's how much progress you can make. And then let's see how quickly that weight comes back on. How much water do we need to drink a day? There's so many recommendations around this. It kind of depends on how much you sweat, really. So what is your overall kind of fluid balance to ensure you are you hydrated? So a few recommendations. If you're just like a non-athlete general population, you can get away just by drinking a thirst because the fluid in your teas, your coffees, your food can account for maybe 10 to 20% of fluid intake. So those kind of foods still count. So if you're thirsty, you drink the thirsty net. And therefore, for most individuals under like temporal kind of conditions, climates, that is by right. If you're athletes, you could probably put a little bit more specificity onto that, maybe 30 to 40 milliliters per kilogram per day. And you probably look to then trip feed that over the course of the day to have better water and fluid retention and maintenance. Instead of necking three liters at the end of the day, you're probably not going to absorb all that. The next one is I have to have some protein within 30 minutes after my workout. The anabolic window, it depends on the timing of your protein beforehand. So it's recommended that you evenly distribute protein intake throughout the day. So having protein every maybe four hours or so to maximize muscle synthesis, which is the process of rebuilding, remodeling muscle tissue. <clears throat> so if, for example, you have protein one hour before you train, then you train for an hour, then you have protein after, then that's kind of like a three to four hour window. So therefore you would then have protein within 36 minutes after you train. But it's really dependent on the proximity to your previous protein hit, you know. Like what you don't need to do is, like a typical example, you might have someone train after work, finish work five o'clock, they train half past five, they finish the gym at, you know, maybe like half past six, seven, they'll have a protein shake. Then 30 minutes later, they get home and they'll have the dinner with a big protein hit. And you don't need to have two protein hits too close together. You can just forget about the protein shake and just have your meal. That is, I think, the issue. They don't have to be super on the money with like, right, 30 minutes, the window's going to close. It's like, you know, you could just have a meal after. And if we think of muscle protein synthesis, so that is going to increase for about 24 to 48 hours after you've stimulated the muscle. So this anabolic window is not just 30, 30 minutes, 60 minutes. It could be one to two days. So yeah, you don't have to rush too much for your protein intake. But I would highly recommend you evenly distribute your protein throughout the course of the day to hit the overall higher protein intake because that's going to be beneficial for muscle growth, adaptation, repay, all that good stuff. All right, thanks, Chris. And I'd like to end the podcast with one question. What can we all do today to better serve ourselves and to serve others? Ooh, so I absolutely love the idea of you know, serving yourself first so you can serve others better. So sometimes I could come across as being selfish, but it's, you know, it's self-care because if I'm protecting my own energy, my own inputs, so I am now operating physically healthier and mentally healthier and clearer, then I can better serve the individuals closest to me. I have my clients, my athletes and all that kind of stuff. If I'm not taking care of myself, so I'm not training, I'm not eating right, I'm not sleeping right, then I'm going to feel like shit. And therefore, I will not have the ability to help the people closest to me to the best of my ability. So if I'm not serving myself, I'm letting them down. So I always make sure that in my diary, when I set my diary up for the week, my training's in first, my food prep, my eating schedule, all that kind of stuff is in first. And then that means I'm protecting myself. I'm going to be the best version of myself. So when I turn up, to Zoom calls, meetings, whatever, then I can offer value. I can help people. If I feel like shit, just won't want to be there. I just want to go to sleep or something like that, you know? So ultimately, serve yourself first so you can serve others better. And for me, it's making sure I train, I sleep, and I eat right. And if I do those three things, then I'm going to be on full. I love it. And how can people get in touch with you? Best way is Instagram. I'm across all social media platforms, but Instagram seems to be the most active. So search Chris Lowe Nutrition or the Athlete Nutrition Coach, 
and drop me a DM and say hey. Thanks, Chris. Thanks a lot for your time today. A lot of great insights, a lot of gems that I think our listeners will be able to actually implement and I'm sure they can reach out to you if they have any further questions. Yeah, amazing. That'd be great. And uh, thanks so much for inviting me on today. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks a lot. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Also, I'm now on YouTube if you want to see the videos of these episodes. For longer guest episodes, I'm putting condensed versions there. So go and check them out. Just search for seeing a haggy hat and you'll find me.